So the Bible is boring, confusing, and too long. No. <laughs> if you're willing to admit that you agree with that, you can raise your hand or no. But uh, I'll raise my hand. I think oftentimes the Bible for me has been boring and confusing and too long. Um, there, there are real reasons, I think, why many people would level those criticisms against the Bible. Um, but I hope by the end of this breakout that I will have given you some confidence and motivation and eagerness about reading the Bible. Maybe even by the end, you'll be convinced that the Bible is in fact exciting and clear and worth your time. But here at the start, I just want to affirm that you are not crazy for thinking that the Bible can be boring and confusing and too long. I hear just some examples. Uh, the Bible often is boring, like genealogies and tabernacle instructions twice and land allotments and judgment oracles. The Bible can be boring. The Bible can be confusing. Uh, there are circumcision laws and laws about menstruation and freaky angels and demons and Jesus cursing a fig tree and a real witch and one prophet that God told to walk around naked for three years. The Bible can be confusing. And the Bible can be too long. So like this blue Bible, which by the way, you can get a free copy of this down in the main session room, kind of on the left side. But this, this Bible uh, is over 600 pages and it's really small print. The length is the equivalent of seven novels. So yeah, the Bible can be too long. Around page 32. But can I speak to those three critiques just for a moment? Just as we start here. Boring. Okay. True boredom is really all about how our affections are already shaped. The reality is that most of us today, our affections have been shaped by entertainment. Our minds have been formed around fast scene changes and epic music and emotional cliffhanger endings and lots of explosions. Or frankly, just TikTok, Instagram reels, and YouTube shorts. And so when we go to a book, and an ancient book at that, and a book about God, well, it's just so different from what we are used to, what we've been trained in. And so it's sort of like feeding cucumbers and carrots to somebody who has only grown up eating Skittles and Dr. Pepper. Like, it's just not gonna taste good at first. But what if the Bible was exciting? Second critique, the Bible's confusing. Yeah, but lots of things are perplexing to us when they are new to us, before we've heard a good explanation or received training. When you are 10 years old, driving a car is confusing. But when you've had your license for a few years, it's natural. Calculus is confusing, but not as much, at least as much, after you pass Calc 2. Navigating your campus was really hard and confusing the first few weeks, but, you know, hopefully by now, eight or so weeks in, you're a pro. Confusion goes away as you grow in understanding. So what if the Bible was clear? And also then the Bible's too long. Yes, it is a very long book, but it is very long to play any video game to 100% completion. <laughs> It is very long to binge watch all 10 seasons of Friends, and it takes very long time to become a teen captain of lacrosse, and it takes a long time to learn how to code in Swift. It takes a very long time to hike the Appalachian Trail. We are very willing to invest massive amounts of time in things that we believe are worth that time. So what if the Bible was worth your time? So we are on page 33. We're going to ask these kind of four big questions. What is the Bible? What is the point? Why should I care? And then how can I read? And at the end, we'll have some write-down Q&A questions. That's these sticky notes that are there on your, on your sheet um, or on your seat. 
not your sheet, on your seat. And hopefully, by the end of this breakout, hopefully, even though the Bible can be boring, confusing, and too long, I hope that you'll inch a little bit closer to believing that the Bible could be exciting, clear, and worth your time. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in to what is the Bible. Father God, we just want to pause and ask that you would help us, help us to shift our mindset, to shift our affections, to shift our volitions, so that we really do believe that the Bible is exciting and clear and worth our time. Lord, that needs to be a work of your Spirit working in us to change our perspectives on the Bible. I pray, God, that you do that, that you would use my words and use our time here, use our time even in your scriptures as we look at your scriptures, what they say about themselves. Lord, would you use this time to shift our mindsets, to shift our hearts, to shift our will and our plan for what we're going to do in the next few weeks. Lord, please would you do that work? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, so first, what is the Bible? Very simply, the Bible is a library of 66 books. Those 66 books are incredibly diverse in their genres, their styles. There are three main styles, narrative, which is stories, poetry, which is flowery language, and then discourse, which is teaching. These books are divided in the Christian Bible today into the 39 books of the Old Testament. Look at the graphic right there you have on page 33. 39 books in the Old Testament, and those are written in Hebrew, um, a little bit written in Aramaic, and then, and then 27 books in the New Testament, which is mostly written in Greek. And so you have the 39 books, which is about three quarters of the library's Old Testament, and then 27 books, New Testament, which about the other quarter, 25%. The Bible you hold in your hand is a translation from those original languages of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And there are many good English translations which seek to balance the accuracy and readability of those original languages. Several hundred years ago, there were chapter numbers and verse numbers added in to the Bible so that literally we can all be on the same page when somebody says Romans 8.28, which means the book of Romans out of the 66, the eighth chapter and the 28th verse of that chapter, Romans 8, 28. It's kind of like an address for a neighborhood. The big numbers in your Bible are the chapters. The small numbers in every few sentences are the verses. And then whoever publishes the Bible will often put like a heading for different paragraphs. You kind of have a summary of what you're about to read. The visual diagram that you see under point one, um, I'm trying here to show the structure of the whole Bible and the order of the books. Now, this is not drawn to scale. Remember, the Old Testament is 75% of the Bible. But if you look, there are five books of the law. There are 12 books of history, five books of wisdom, and then 17 books of the prophets. And if you see that arrow, the books of the prophets are writing during the times of the history books. And that's one of the confusing things right out of the gate with the Bible is that the Bible is not organized in a strict chronology because it's not one novel, it's 66 different books all put together. And so they're referencing one another, but it's not in the same chronology. And that can usually be pretty confusing to people. It's like, didn't I read, did, is it, didn't this king die? Like, what, you know, whatever. And so the prophetic books are writing during the time of the history. Similar thing in New Testament. You have four gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Our main session teaching for fall conference in the book of Luke. That's one of the gospels that's describing the life and teaching biography of Jesus. So there's four Gospels, then the book of Acts, which talks about the early church history, then the letters, 
numerous different authors writing to numerous different churches and people, but many of the churches and people are introduced in the book of Acts. So there's a similarity there where Acts is sort of the history book and the letters are written during the, the period of Acts, similar to the history and the prophets. And then finally, the book of Revelation, just one book, and that's a book of prophecy with the future. So a little bit confusing, but now you know. Now, what's really exciting about the Bible is that there are hyperlinks, in a sense, all over the scripture. There's one uh, sort of researcher named Chris Harrison. Um, if you just Google Chris Harrison Bible Viz, V-I-Z, um, there's an amazing visual that he created. It looks like this massive rainbow. He says there are 63,779 cross-references in the Bible, almost like a Wikipedia page. You can just click, 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 and it's, it's just going to be referencing all kinds of different things all of the Bible. A quote from the Old Testament that's here in the New, an allusion about the sacrificial lamb in you know, Leviticus, and then John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which is Jesus, takes away the sin of the world. There's just all these cross-references. And so one of the exciting things which you know, might be 10, 20 years for you uh, from now, is as you read the Bible again and again, the whole thing through again, the whole thing through again, the whole thing through, you'll begin to notice some of these cross-references because the Bible is just referencing all kinds of things all over itself. So there's great value that comes from reading the Bible multiple times, which is kind of the mark of good literature, that you see something new even through a second or third or fourth reading. Practically, how long does it take to read the whole Bible? Uh, if you do a quick Google search, the wisdom of the internet will say it's probably between 70 to 80 hours, which might sound totally overwhelming. Um, but there's this really great infographic that Crossway has. In a, there's a QR code on page 32. You can, you can find this, this uh, link there. But it breaks down each of the 66 books and shows you how long it takes to read each one. And that infographic says the whole Bible is 74 hours to read. Now, to just give you a comparison... If you watch all 10 seasons of Friends, it takes about 80 hours. So reading the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, takes less time than it does to watch all 10 seasons of Friends, just to put it in perspective. And I remember um, at a, a freshman Bible study thing one time, one of the students said, we're, you know, like, what's like a fun fact for you? They had watched the entire seasons of Friends, all 10, um, I think like four or five times. So I'm like, okay, so I mean, that just proves that you have the ability, you have the time, uh, to read the whole Bible, if you were to choose to, if it would be exciting and clear and worth your time. Um, if you read, here's another way to frame it, if you read one hour each day starting today, um, you would finish in two and a half months on January 3rd. You finish the entire Bible. Is, doesn't that seem like less than you would think, right? The entire Bible in a little over two months. Um, let me give you a quick story for me. How many of you heard of P90X? It's like the, the exercise plan, right? Um, well, there's a Bible reading plan called B90X. It's kind of nerdy. Um, but it takes you the whole Bible 90 days. When I first heard of it, I thought, man, that's so hardcore. Let me try that. And I tried about 11 years ago, and I failed. Just to let you know. <laughs> I failed. It was, it was just too hard for me at the time. So if, if you've never read much of the Bible, don't try B90X. Don't be like me. Um, that might be too much. Start small. Um, the New Testament, just alone, because 25% of the Bible, it takes about 18 hours. And if you watched all eight Harry Potter movies, it takes about 19 hours. So again, you can watch all Harry Potter movies, or you can read the New Testament. Um, and the Gospel of John takes just two hours, which is about the length of a movie. So that's just a quick overview of what the Bible is. It's a library of 66 books. But, you know, you might be getting bored with this little literature lesson, and you're thinking, but what's the point of all that? Like, I don't care how many books are in it. What's the point 
What's the point of the Bible? Give me the TLDR. So point number two here, what is the point? I want to tell you three things. I want to tell you the storyline, I want to tell you the main character, and I want to tell you the best part. So first, the storyline. Think of this like a movie trailer, okay? Movie opens up, there's just darkness. God speaks, he says, let there be light. Light. And God begins to create. And God crowns his creation with the creation of a man and a woman. And he delegates to these men and women the authority to rule over the world that he had created. Plants, animals, birds, fish, this land, this sea, this air. He says, this is yours. You are made in my image. You are like me. I rule and create, and I want you to rule and create. I want you to be in relationship with me. That's the plan. It's a world of perfection and of joy and of beauty. Tragically, first man and the first woman do not remain in that place of enjoying God and ruling and reigning his world with him, but they rebel against his rule and his reign. They believe that they can have more satisfaction, more life, more freedom without God being in charge. And that plan backfires. And instead of having more freedom and more life, they have death and they have slavery. And you would think, well, this is an awful story. The first few few minutes of the story has just plunged us into darkness again. What, how is this a good story? Well, it's good because, like Dave had just said in our morning session, God is kind. God does not want that to be the end of the story. God wants to have relationship with his people that he's made in his image. He wants them again to rule and reign his world with joy and with life instead of death. And so God begins this rescue plan, and he makes promises even in the first few pages of the Bible that although there's going to be enmity and there's going to be conflict, there is going to be victory and there is going to be restoration. So God begins this plan of reconciliation. One of the first things he does just a few chapters into the Bible is he appoints a man, Abram, makes promises to him, says, I'm going to give you people, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to bless you. And my plan is to bless all the world through you. Yes, there's been a curse in the world, but I'm going to reverse that and bring blessing. It's going to be through you, through a family, to all the families. And that plan progresses, and that family grows into a nation of Israel. And that nation is meant to be a blessing to all the other nations. But again, tragically, that nation also rebels against God. The story repeats itself. And that nation says, we don't want you as our God. We think we'll have more freedom, more life, more blessing from some other gods. And it breaks God's heart again. Now you might say, well, maybe that's the end of the story. Again, it's the sad ending. You know, humanity rebels in the garden, and then Israel rebels in their own land. You think God just says, well, that's it. But no, God is kind. It's on the pros list. And so God, although he disciplines his people by sending them into exile because of their disobedience in the land, he makes these promises of restoration, brings them back into the land of Israel, makes massive promises that he is going to still accomplish his plan of reconciliation with humanity. Finally, 
as we reach the New Testament, God sends his son Jesus into the world. God comes to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and he is the fulfillment of all the promises. He lives the perfect life that humanity and Israel had failed to live. Instead of coming into the earth just to conquer and to judge, he comes to serve, and he comes to give his life as a ransom for sin. His own people, the nation of Israel, that he has come to, you would think they'd be excited. Finally, the promises are coming true. Finally, the reconciliation is going to come. We're going to be reconciled back to God. We're going to get back to the garden, back in a relationship with God. Finally, God's here. That is not, tragically, how they respond. They kill him. And if there's ever a point in the story where you think, this is it, right? If it wasn't bad enough for them to rebel in the garden, if it wasn't bad enough for them to rebel in the nation of Israel and in all their exile, this is certainly the worst part. This is not going to work out. You cannot have a plan of reconciliation if the person comes to reconcile and you kill them. That is the opposite of reconciliation. But the story does not end there. As much as that is the greatest tragedy in the Bible, Jesus transforms it into the greatest triumph because miraculously, terrifically, God raises Jesus back to life and is the greatest triumph. Jesus reconciles us through his death. See, that actually wasn't miraculously the greatest tragedy, even though it kind of was, but it also simultaneously was the greatest triumph because when Jesus dies, it is in our place to reconcile us back to God. That's the beauty, the superpower, the ability that God has is to turn the greatest tragedy and the greatest rejection relationally into the greatest triumph and the greatest reconciliation relationally with humanity. So that anyone who trusts in Christ, his death becomes their death. His rejection becomes the rejection that they deserve, but that now becomes their reconciliation back to God. This is God's superpower. Why does he do it? That prose list, God is kind. We did not deserve it. We did not earn it. Israel killed God when he came. Their own God they killed. We were dead in our sins. God is kind. And he reconciles back to himself. But it gets even better. As Jesus declares his resurrection and appears to his, to his disciples, he commands them to spread this good message of reconciliation to everyone on the planet so that everyone can be restored back to God. And we see this community of Jesus followers expand and grow, not just from the first city there that they were in, Jerusalem, but to expand into the surrounding regions, eventually reaching Rome, the capital of the empire at that time. And the final book of the Bible reassures us that Jesus is coming back a second time to wrap up history, to bring heaven down to earth so that God and his people can finally be fully reconciled, finally be together in reconciled relationship to enjoy God forever, which was the plan in the beginning, a plan which failed and failed and failed and failed and tragically failed in the killing of God, but then triumphed and then now finally reconciled back with God for eternity. That is the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, who's the main character in all of that? You might have been able to guess it. It's Jesus. He is the centerpiece of the Bible as the 
main character. Look with me at a Bible quote. It's on page 32. It's at the top left there. Luke 24, 25, 27, and then 44 to 49. So Jesus is speaking to these uh, disciples that had witnessed his death, and they think that they might have witnessed his resurrection, but they're not quite sure they're doubting. And so he kind of rebukes them. He says, oh, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, so that's the guy that wrote the, the first five books of the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself. If you got a pen, go ahead and circle himself. Himself, right? So Moses, the prophets, all the scriptures, what are they about? Himself, Jesus. They're all about Jesus. Fast forward to verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me... God in circle, written about me. And the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So everything in the Old Testament is written about Jesus. It is not like you're reading the Old Testament, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Okay, finally, Jesus is here. Great, this is the main point. And it is the main point, but you cannot skip the whole Old Testament because it is building the context and the tension and the anticipation of the coming of Jesus and explains all that he is and all that he does. Jesus is the true and better version of all the characters and types and themes in the Old Testament. Everything is then fulfilled in Christ, and then the New Testament is explaining everything that is about Jesus and what, what the implications are of that. So Jesus is the main character. What is the best part of the Bible? The best part is the gospel. Now, gospel is just sort of a fancy word that means good news. Look with me again on page 32, 1 Corinthians 15. I think this gives a great summary of the gospel. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Just go ahead and circle gospel. I preach to you, which you received, in which you saved, and by which you are being, uh, sorry, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that, go ahead and underline this, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So what is the gospel? I think those five words, Christ died for our sins. Why did Jesus have to die? Because of our sins. It wasn't his sins. It was ours. And it wasn't our death, which is what we deserved. It was his death. So Christ died for our sins. It's a substitution where he dies instead of us. That's the gospel. And the gospel is the best part. So we've looked at an overview of what the Bible is. We've looked at the content, the main point. But still, maybe... Maybe this hasn't yet been relevant for you. Maybe it's interesting history and it's literature lecture. The next big question, point three, is why should I care? Why should I care? Now, I want to persuade you of the benefits that Scripture says about itself. So I want to look together at just a paragraph, bottom left of page 32, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. This is uh, an older pastor named Paul, same guy for 1 Corinthians, and he's writing to Timothy, um, who he is mentoring. But as for you, Timothy... Continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's four benefits I want to highlight here. This is why should I care? Why should I read the Bible? First, verse 15, it will make you wise for salvation. It'll give you wisdom, wisdom that leads not just to making a lot of money or something, but wisdom that leads to salvation because that salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus and the scriptures will teach you that wisdom and reveal to you that salvation is through faith in Christ. Second benefit, there is authority from God. This is why you should read it. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. So there's an authority, there's a trustworthiness as truth from God, that is the scripture. The scriptures are breathed out by God. If you want to know who God is, what he says, read the scriptures because they are breathed out by God. They are his word so that we can know truth about him. Why should you care? Because it's the authority from God. Third reason why you should care, because in verse 16, it says that it is useful, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness. It is useful for all these things. It is profitable so there is a, a good use for it. If you want to be taught, if you want to be corrected, if you want to have good training, then go to the Word. Go to the Bible. It's useful for those things. And then number four, it is sufficient for being equipped. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you want to be equipped for every good work, read the Bible. It will equip you. It will make you complete and sufficient for all the good work of ministry that is necessary. So those are some good reasons to read the Bible. It's wise, it's authoritative, it's useful, it's sufficient, but perhaps the supreme reason I would give you for reading the Bible is that it will give you joy in the gospel. Joy in the gospel. Look at me at the top of page 32. Jesus says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, go ahead and circle that joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy, circle that, may be full. You can have the best joy because of the best news. We can be back in right relationship with our creator and that is good. That is exciting. And these things Jesus has spoken, these things you can read in the Bible so that Jesus' joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. John 20, 31, John writes, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, go ahead and circle life, in his name. You can have life. The words of the Bible show how we can reconcile to God and it's through faith in Jesus Christ and that will give us life. And then finally, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you want joy? Do you want pleasures? The offer that God gives is there is not just some joy, there is fullness of joy. There are not just some pleasures, there are pleasures forevermore. And where are those found? In the presence of God. When I first came into college, I thought that the most joy and the most pleasure I could have was with sex. I was most excited, honestly, about pornography. And so the Bible, in comparison, was boring and lifeless. But God began to change my affections. 
He began to grow me in love for him. As I learned and believed the gospel, it gave me a deeper joy, a more substantial satisfaction than porn could ever give. And I wanted God. I wanted more of the gospel. And so I ate the Bible up. And this was before smartphones, so I did not have a Bible app, but I did have a pocket Bible. And so I would carry around this little pocket Bible. And you can see it's pretty beat up. It's held together with tape. And I would read this before class. I would read it walking to class. I would read it during lunch. My senior year, I studied Romans in more depth than anything I'd ever read. During college, by God's grace, the Bible became exciting and clear and worth my time. Hopefully, by this point in the breakout, hopefully, you're convinced that the Bible could possibly be exciting and clear and worth your time. Maybe you're not convinced yet. Thanks for still being here. But in our final point four, I, I want to get more practical, and I want to I at least assume you're curious to crack open the door to this library of 66 books and stroll in. So I'd like to talk, finally, about how you can read the Bible. So I'm going to present you with a toolbox, not a packing list. Uh, please don't feel like you have to do all of these things. I, I just want to kind of introduce you. Here are a few different tools. Go ahead and pick one off, the, off the, the shelf and try it. And just be aware of the other tools as options. But you don't have to do everything. The important thing, really, is just to read the Bible. Just read it. Don't worry so much at first about how to read it or what to read it or when or where. Just read. Read it. That's the big one. With that in mind, how can I read? Four answers. You can read purposefully, prayerfully, differently, and in community. I'll repeat those. So first, read purposefully. What you're doing isn't complex. It's just read the Bible. It's that simple. But even though it's simple, it doesn't make it easy. And it can be hard to get started and to keep going. So you need to read purposefully. I would suggest decide on a regular time. Maybe it's the morning before class. But that'll mean purposefully going to bed at a reasonable hour so you can get up early to read the Bible. Decide on what you're going to read so you're not flipping aimlessly each day. Purposefully pick one of the 66 books of the Bible and read it all the way through. Maybe that's one chapter a day. Maybe you go hardcore and read 10 chapters a day. I don't know. Remove distractions. I would recommend reading a physical Bible, not a Bible app. I know that's crazy pants. But when you're reading the Bible on your phone, it just is so easy to switch over to Instagram or TikTok. And if you're reading the Bible, oh, this is great stuff, scroll and scroll on, bing, text message from somebody, and then now you're distracted. So read purposefully by reading away from your phone. Put it in another room, have a physical Bible. If you need one, they're blue Bibles. Like I said, downstairs, they're free. Pick one, take it with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, for me, just personally, without distractions, I'm so glad and delighted to be the father of four amazing, awesome kids. But that means that for me to have a consistent Bible reading time, I have to get up in the morning before they wake up. <laughs> I have to be purposeful. The house is quiet before they wake up, and so I'm in solitude trying to focus on the Lord in the first thing in the day. He's the priority. Number two, read prayerfully. Read prayerfully. Pray before you read. Turn the Bible verses you read into prayer. Pray as a response of obedience. Sometimes the Bible will have things of like, you should pray like this. Like, you, okay, you should pray like that. Pray in obedience. Um, honestly, sometimes I am bored of the Bible. Um, I think one of the reasons just simply is that I like to learn new things. 
I love learning about the latest technology and the latest things that are happening in the news and understanding trends and things. And so when I go to the Bible, I'm like, well, I already actually read this. Uh, and so then I can, I can be bored with the Bible just because it's not new for me. And so one of the things that I will often do is pray before I open the Bible. And I'll pray actually some words of Scripture. Uh, and I got this from John Piper as his acronym. I'll pray, Lord, would you incline my heart to your testimonies? Lord, would you, you, would you open my eyes to see wonderful things in your law? Lord, would you unite my heart, so it's not distracted, unite my heart to fear name. And Lord, please, would you satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. Each of those four, incline, open, unite, and satisfy, they're based on four different scriptures. If you want more, scan the QR code. You can find more on that. Number three, read differently. Read differently. There are two speeds, fast and slow. And I recommend alternating between those two speeds. You can read fast. You can read whole books of the Bible. Read for breadth. Not just isolated tweet verses, but reading and reading. Sometimes binge reading. Read a book five times in a row. Read fast. But also try reading slow with a depth of study, verse by verse. Maybe praying each verse. Maybe journaling each verse. Memorizing those verses. Meditating on those verses. I love to alternate between fast and slow throughout the year. I find that I need to read differently or I get stuck and bored in one style if I stay in it too long. So sometimes I read fast. Um, Peter Kroll inspired me to do this. He's the president of South Makers. He says um, that if you're, if you're a big reader and you love to read, why don't you read the Bible like you would read a brand new novel? Yeah. And so on January 1st, I've done this a few years now. Peter has done it for years and years and years. You can ask him about it. I will, I will stop all my other reading and I'll read the Bible all the way through, front to back, as fast as I can. And I, read, I try to read just the Bible all the way through. So that's reading fast. But then I also really enjoy, and in fact, in some ways, probably more prefer to read the Bible slowly. And so one of the things I have loved to do in the last year or so is do these classes. Uh, it's called Classroom with Bible Project. And the one I did um, just a few months ago was 31 sessions. This is around November, December. 31 sessions on one chapter in the Bible. It was amazing. It was on Genesis chapter one. And it was just session after session after session of just going deep and going slow. So I like to alternate. I like to go fast, the whole Bible through, as fast as I can. I like to go slow. And if you're finding that you're doing one and you're kind of getting, ah, I don't know, try doing the other. And, ah, and try the other. And sometimes I like to alternate between fast and slow. Number four, read in community. Read in community. Read in discussion groups, i.e. Bible studies. Um, if you're not in, involved in one, talk to your staff, get back into one on campus. I, I assure you, there are Bible studies offered on your campus by the seven your staff. We love studying the Bible. Find a Bible study. Um, get involved in local church. Hear the preaching of God's word every Sunday and see it and live it out in community. You need to see it obeyed and incarnated, and it'll shape you. Christianity is a team sport. You can't even obey most of the commands of Scripture without being in relationship with other people. It says love one another, forgive one another. Well, you can't do that if it's just you in a room by yourself. So be in community and read the Bible in community. Um, there's a discipleship group that I was part of with my church a few years ago, and the three of us, other men, would read through the Bible in a year. And so it meant that every morning we were reading all the same exact passages. So we could text each other, hey, this stood out to me from Judges chapter 14 or something. And we had all read that same exact chapter. So there's this benefit um, of if you are reading the Bible in community with other people. 
If you want more resources, QR code on page 32, scan it with your phone. There's so much there. Books, podcasts, articles, infographics, videos. Bible Project is amazing. So those are the four tools. Read the Bible purposefully, read it prayerfully, read it differently, and read it in community. But remember, just read it. Just read it. If you've never read the Bible before, I would recommend starting the Gospel of Luke. That's the book we've been going through in chapter 5 for our main sessions. It's page 502 in the Blue Bibles. And then now to finish out, um, I would love to do some Q&A. We have about 10 minutes. So go ahead and write down a question on your sticky note there. And in about a minute or so, I'll gather those up and then we'll do some answers, hopefully. Okay, so one question I think is repeated here. Do you take notes while reading or just focus on the reading? And then how do you take notes or retain information learned from readings? So again, it's sort of the, those two speeds, fast and slow. If I'm reading fast, I'm reading it fast. I'm not taking any notes. I'm just, I'm just reading it almost like reading it for pleasure. Like when I read a fiction book, I'm not sitting there like, oh, like what's this character? I'm like writing all kinds of notes. I'm just, I'm just enjoying it, right? I'm just reading it. It's like when you're watching a movie, you're just watching it. Um, so if I'm reading in that, in that speed, the fast speed, I'm just reading for pleasure. But then if I'm reading slowly, yeah, I might be writing down notes. I might be journaling it. Uh, and I, I write in cursive to actually physically slow me down and slow my brain down. Um, other times I might be typing up, you know, different notes and things. Or I'm prepping me for a Bible study or something. Um, or sometimes I'll purchase a scripture journal. Um, the ESV does this where they have its text on the left and then just blanks page on the right. And so I read it and then I'll, I'll circle things. I'll write different references to other places in the Bible. I'll write down different notes. I might write down chapter summaries. And so it helps because it's right there. And then anytime I open that up, I got the text and I got all my notes that are there. So particularly if I'm like maybe leading a Bible study, we do this at Shippensburg. We do a hardcore class, a hardcore Bible study. Um, and so we'll, if people sign up for it, we'll give them a journal and they read it over Christmas break, like two or three times, whatever the book is. And then the spring, then we'll, we'll have that. That's like their textbook for the Bible. So we're kind of taking notes and then that's like what you bring to class every week. And then by the end of it in May, then you have this like take home, you know, you know this book really well because you've been in it for weeks and weeks and weeks and you have all your notes right there. So, so I do both. Um, I take notes and I also don't take notes um, depending on whether I'm reading fast or slow. So good question. Okay. Um, another question here is what are some tips you have for going through an early, like a an earlier book in the Old Testament, particularly ones that are like really difficult, for instance, Leviticus. Um, so again, two, two speeds. One, one way to fix the problem is just to read it really fast. Like if you read Leviticus in one day, you're going to get an overview of like what the book is and you're not going to be bogged down with like, what the heck is that pair? I'll just, I'll just keep reading. Like just sometimes in the fast speed, just keep reading and you'll get at least some sense of the book and some sense of what it's saying, just because you're skipping that really weird paragraph, but you're getting more of it, so you get the whole book. So that's one option, just go fast. The other option is really to go slow, which might mean, okay, I don't understand this paragraph, I'm gonna go and consult a commentary, which is where different theologians and pastors have written out sort of some thoughts and comments about the different paragraphs, and they're going really slow. I mean, I don't have the book with me, but the book of Exodus um, is, uh, maybe like 150 pages. It was kind of just like like a, like set out like a novel. Um, it takes about three hours to read. The commentary that I just borrowed from uh, the Disseminary's headquarters library is, I think it's 1,000 pages. So just like 150 pages of real text, but 1,000 pages of commentary on those 150 pages. Like that's crazy. 
That's almost, what is that? Almost 10 pages of commentary on every one page, a one to 10 ratio. That's crazy. So if you're, if you're finding confusion over a part of the Bible, chances are you are not the first person to be confused. And there are a lot of people throughout church history that have written a lot of things about that confusing paragraph. So you can go slow and you can really wrestle with that. I would say though that um, just watch out if uh, watch out about either staying in the fast in the fast uh, mode or in the slow mode, because if you stay in the slow mode, you're never going to read through more than like a few pages in the Bible because just every every sentence is going to be like, what does that mean? And but then also if you're staying in the fast mode, you might never really understand what you just read because you're just like, don't understand that, keep going, and you might you know be like six seven books in the Bible and you're like, I don't really understand what I read yet. Uh, so I like to alternate between the two. Great question. Okay, um, next question. How do you decide what to read? How do you decide what to read? Um, I, again, I like to alternate. Um, and sometimes uh, the books of the Bible are almost like old friends. You ever had an old friend? You're like, man, I have not talked to Sally in so long. I should shoot her a text. I should give her a call. I should do a face. I should uh, meet, her, meet her for coffee. And so sometimes I'm kind of like that. I'm like, oh, man, First Peter. I have not read First Peter in a while. I love First Peter. Let me go and get, let me go read that. Or like, man, Ezekiel. Man, what a wild book. I have not read Ezekiel in a while. Let me go read Ezekiel. So that's for me, like, but it's because I read the books of the Bible. So they sort of feel like, like old friends to me. Um, one suggestion for you is maybe uh, if you've never read anything in the Bible, start with Luke. Um, that'd be a great one to read. Just kind of give you an introduction to who Jesus is. Um, maybe after that, read Acts. Acts will give you just a, a big picture view of kind of the, the early church and how it grew and give you a lot of good theology about like, what is the church? What is baptism? What is salvation? What is the gospel? What is a church? What is church planting? Like, what is making disciples? Like, what is all kind of these, these major sort of things of what it looks like in the Christian life? What does it look like? Uh, Acts will give that to you. Um, and then, but maybe you've read like maybe half the Bible or so. Consider reading the books that you haven't read yet. Just kind of identify what, look at the table of contents. What books have I not read? And maybe commit for the next year Try to read all the books you haven't read so that you can say, I actually have read the entirety of the Bible. So that might be a way to decide what to read. Um, another just pro tip for what to decide to read, what is your church preaching through? Try to read that book of the Bible. Maybe read it, if you want to go wild, maybe read that whole book every week if it's like a small book. So like my church right now is going through Galatians. Maybe you can read Galatians every week. It's only six chapters. So you can read it one day of the week, not counting Sunday. And you can read Galatians every single week so whenever you come to church, oh, today the church service, um, actually tomorrow it'll be uh, Galatians 5 uh, verses 1 to 15. You're like, well, I just read that on Friday. And so, and then, then you're going to read it again that next Friday. It's just going to have more and more and more understanding of it as you kind of repeat that. Or maybe whatever your, your um, large group meeting is going through with DCF, um, you can just read through that book of the Bible. Uh, we're going through John. I challenged uh, the students at the beginning of the semester, why don't you read John every week? And so you read it like 12 times this, this fall semester, and you'll just know John like crazy. And I know of at least one student who has done that, so he's read about eight times now. Like, that's amazing. And he, he's, I assume he's learning a lot more about John there. Unfortunately, it is 12.01, so we're going to have to pause it there. There's a lot more questions here, and maybe there's even more out there. If you have a question that I didn't answer or a new question pops up, please come talk to me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray and close this out. You guys can head to lunch. Um, thank you so much for being here. I hope this helped you to believe that the Bible could possibly be 
exciting and clear and worth your time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Um, and Lord, I just ask again exactly what I just said there. Lord, would you work in our hearts that we would believe and think and feel that the Bible is exciting and it's clear and it's worth our time. Would you help us to read it? Help us to be motivated and inspired to read it. And would we understand it and would we apply it to our lives? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.